I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. This is episode 38, the Way of Beauty podcast. I'm here with Paul Jernberg. Hello again, Paul. We finished off last time. We, we were talking about the repertoire. I thought we were going to go on to the, the logistical issues, but in fact, um, you wanted to talk today about something else, what you call humble artistry in music. Yes. yes. Uh, well, humility is always good and artistry is always good. <laughs> What, what are you referring to there? Right. So I'm not referring to the, the, the virtue of humility, which is, needs to be part of our lives in every aspect. <laughs> That's certainly, certainly needed. Uh, but what I, the reason why I put that adjective here is yeah. because I think it's, it's absolutely essential to the aspect of artistry in the liturgy. Because, f- but, and by, by the word humble, I mean, first of all, that the music that we sing is always pointing away from ourselves to something greater than itself, namely to the presence of Christ and in the liturgy and to the word the word of God as as we sing it. So that and and also to the um, right. So so we're we're pointing away from ourselves. We're not. And this is in contrast to lots of other music, most probably most all the other music that we hear or sing, where the focus is naturally on the performer. Yeah. So, so and, and this can creep in in all sorts of subtle ways in the liturgy as we sing that we, we become, uh, that the focus somehow becomes on, on how wonderful our singing is. And, and, but, we're always focusing away. Or we might say we're focusing on interiorly also on the, on the presence of God. So that's the first sense in which I, I feel the word humble is important uh, in terms of the artistry and sacred music. The second reason is that it's by its nature, the essentials of sacred music need to be accessible in humble situations. So that when we, when we talk about um, all that, we're gonna talk about the different aspects of technique and skill, which, are, which really are important, but they are at a level that is generally accessible to all sorts of people in all different kinds of, of contexts. Again, this is this is in contrast to the sense of of, of needing to have uh, advanced music degrees, degrees to be able to um, to do sacred music well. Uh, again, if we look at the traditions East and West, we see that you know the vast majority of what's been done has been has been done by uh, people without uh, an elaborate music education, and it's worked. And it's and it's and it's connected, and it's been effective. So, those are the those are the two reasons why I'm, I'm calling it humble. And but then it is art it is artistry. And Pius the Tenth brings out this this point out uh, in his second uh, characteristic of sacred music when he says that it needs to be beautiful or have goodness of forms or 
And then he, he says, or it needs to be true art. So what does he mean? And what, what does it, this mean in sacred music? Um, there are a whole set of skills that we need uh, to be able to sing well. These are not, uh, but they're, they're accessible skills. And many of there's, there is a, a large overlap with uh, professional training, with, with what one learns in a, in a conservatory education. And that is, so we have things like um, diaphragmatic breathing, uh, placement of the voice, resonance. Uh, and then on the other hand, we have things like precision of pitch, rhythm, et cetera. There's, there's a whole set of skills Many of these are, are common to both uh, art music or secular music and sacred music. But the, but the basics are, um, we, we do need them in, in, in the liturgy. And, and so, but the way in which we, we use them has this special, has, has this particular, um, flavor or, or uh, characteristic of being prayer and of being, having a certain intimacy, a certain intensity and interiority to it that is not normally there in, sac sacred, in secular music, rather. Um, so just to, to clarify, you're talking about um, this uh, artistry, both in the this, hum, this quality of humble artistry, both in the compositional that's imparted to the music by the composer, but then in the performance as well. Exactly. And that's both, what I'm... Both yeah. need to be there. That, that's right, David. And, I, yes. and so right now, I've, what I just said was a lot about the performance itself. So, mm. yeah, in theory, you could have the most wonderful, appropriate sacred music, on paper, and then you take that and you don't sing it in the way that it's meant to be sung, and it could—it's it, not really fulfilling its role. Right. Uh, it's possible to do Gregorian chant and sacred polyphony, even you know, as well as other uh, sacred music. It's possible to take what's on the paper and do the notes, and do the even, <laughs> and have do it correctly in a sense, but it still might miss the point. If it's not done with this interiority and this this uh, this sense of pointing away from itself, and I, what strikes me as you're speaking is that that um, one can imagine, for example, uh, <clears throat> the priest. He's fully visible. He's up front, and he is uh, chanting some aspects of the mass, and you would say, well, how does he stop being a performer? Well, one is he very clearly addresses God. I, I would say that ad orientum is probably one way of doing that. Um, in other words, facing the east, facing in the same direction as the congregation. So as we see it, we see his back. <laughs> but we're all facing in the same direction. Um, and But the other thing is that if, if he is, in his, is, is praying in his position, 
then it's and is approaching it in that way it's an extension of his prayer then it's more likely to happen now we can imagine that occurring with a priest probably um, now it strikes me that if that's the case then why not with choristers as well sure exactly um, and and i'm re reflecting on this conversation that we had some time ago about do they need to be in the gallery behind? Well, the answer is yes, if, if they are performing. But if they're praying, they can as easily be an example of prayer that is almost a stepping stone between congregation and what's going on in the sanctuary. And in other words, they're the leading members of the congregation in that sense. Yes. This is a, for various reasons, this seems to be a very controversial subject at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. Now, there is the, the concern is that uh, one of, of being discreet and of, being, of, of making sure that we're pointing to the action at the altar. And that's one of the, that's one of the uh, arguments for being in the, in the choir loft. And there's something to that you know, to, to not draw attention to oneself. But again, my experience has been that uh, it's possible to do exactly what you're saying. And that it's, it's actually, that this gets back to the, the aspect also of what we spoke about of resonance. Yeah. That music, in order to do its job, so to speak, needs to resonate with the people who are present. It's, even though we are addressing it towards God, and God is our primary uh, object of our prayer, of course, and our love, the love of neighbor is intimate, inextricably connected with that. And when we sing in Mass, what we sing needs to resonate with the people. And um, I, I, yes, I can see that. The, the other thing that occurs to me is that the desire to shove the choir at the back, which I, I'm not saying is necessarily a terrible thing, but what I am saying is it's not so it's, it's not a bad thing to have them at the front either if you do it well, um, speaks as much about how the congregation see their role as it does about how the choir sees their role. In other words, if everybody is there to pray and to sing and to participate, actively which means in uh, interiorly if that's the, the phrase yeah, body sure. and soul um and sometimes we're receptive and listening but we're active as well and in that sense the the choir is is a, a sort of model for congregational prayer and therefore ought to be visible if they're doing it well uh, it, it, and i've seen this done in byzantine churches yes so you have the, I don't know if it's, it's, it's ordained, there's a sort of grey area, blessed might be a better phrase, the, the position of reader, yes. um, who is a singer, as a cantor. And so in the, the choir, you will have the readers and people who are not wearing robes, but they're all um, there as almost like an extension of the clergy. It's, it's they're, they're some way between the two. And uh, I, I was part of the choir, but I, I'm, not, I'm not a reader. Um, 
at a, a, an Eastern liturgy and the pastor gave us, a, we, we were moved to the front when he felt we were good enough. <laughs> and he gave us a strong lecture, he said, right now, you are the models of worship for the congregation. Right. This is how you conduct yourselves. Right. And we were up front, off to the side, but we're facing forward. We're looking at the sanctuary. And exactly. And I think that's an essential point. Um, either looking forward or looking inward. I mean, the, the, yeah. traditional, the traditional position of the choir, of course, is facing inward, right? Which yeah. is, works because then you, you're, you're, you can also be very much aware of what's going on in the altar. And, but I think part, one of the things that people have reacted against is when the choir is up front, maybe in the sanctuary, maybe facing everybody. Yeah. Then you've got a problem because then, you know, and then add to that the style of the music yeah. and add to that the use of microphones and sound systems. Yeah. And you have a show yeah. that is antithetical to the liturgy. So we need to make really clear that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something entirely reverent and focused and helping people to enter into this the worship of God. Well, that's the other point, is that when they're there as a model, as, as a, an example of congregational worship, as mm -hmm. rather than priestly <laughs> the yes, priests yes, have yes. their role which is distinct the right. invitation there actually is to join in as much as possible mm -hmm. um which is desirable i would say yes and, and again the choice of repertoire is important that if everything is polyphony you could do that occasionally mm -hmm. but for the most part that means you are a spectator it's very sure. difficult not to be a spectator it, it, occasionally it works i would say and, and i'm probably reflecting as much my own temperament here i, I can see it varies from one person to another I'm, I'm very happy to acknowledge that but um music which is accessible and simple and no has a sort of noble form um which can be sung especially if you're repeating of course how do you learn this well, the answer is that some things but can be repeated week after week mm -hmm. that, that this is you have repetition and maybe you change it for certain parts of the season but that familiarity is very very important some things are sung every week exactly the same yes and you have full strong participation right yeah it's good um can we go back for a moment to yep. technique? Uh, because uh, this is something, again, that uh, I just want to reiterate that technique is important. Okay. For, and, and some people might react against that and like, say, well, well, come on, this is not a performance server. But having said everything we've said, it's important to sing on pitch, for example. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> at least for the musicians and for the priests, or yeah. at approximately. At least approximately. One of my very, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but one of my, yes, my favorite singer at our parish is um, somebody who sings with all his heart and he's generally off tone, but his song reflects so much his interior <laughs> uh, 
intensity of love and worship that I, ne I never cease to be edified. So th that's, sort of the that's sort of the exception to the rule, but I need to say that. Well, I, I think that when you have the cantors singing in tune and you have broad congregational participation, these little deviations add a sort of richness that is rather yeah. like the, um, exactly. the mistake of the, the monk's mistake in the illumination, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it has an authenticity to it. There can't be so much that the whole thing is just veering yeah. off out, out of tune. But right. that, that's, that sort of variation adds to it. And yeah. I'm assuming that this person, uh, you, as you were speaking, I, we had a friend, this, <laughs> this is just a little story, yeah. but we used to, it, it's the desire to chant. Everyone says that English people won't sing, for example. We have this choral tradition. Yeah. Um, you go to a football match and listen to the singing. And <laughs> you realise that the, the instinct is there. Yes. And for men to sing uh, heartily. Now, in football matches, it's I'm talking soccer games. He probably right. doesn't bear repetition most of the language, but the desire is there. But we had we we used to sing in the car when we were going to mm -hmm. events, and we'd sing along to things that were played on the sound system in the car. You know, you can imagine what's doing. And there was one guy who was we used to joke he was so off tune that actually he was accidentally harmonising with us. That's really <laughs> encouraging. But and I was. <laughs> thought of that but it never occurred to us to tell him to shut up or anything right but uh we used to rib him a bit but the uh the thing that strikes me is that as far as possible you need that lead from those who are tuneful and powerful and right. in such a voice one imagines which probably means male voices predominantly and again you tell me that people can join in with that's, that's that's right. And and before we talk about the male voice here, uh, right. we just, I just want to harp for a moment on the aspect of some other basic needs. And this is cool. for your, your cantor, for your choir, okay, especially. And that so we, we want they need to be able to sing in tune. Yeah. <laughs> it, my friend, who's my favorite singer, would not work as a cantor. <laughs> 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 so we okay. need to sing in tune. There needs to be clarity of diction. There needs to be uh, uh, resonance, good resonance in in his voice. And there also needs to be a freedom from stylish singing, you might say. In other words, if I start singing in a way that is, is sort of a pop way of singing, that in itself will be a distraction to people. There needs to be a more operatic, one imagines. That that would be a deviation as well. Exactly. It, that that that's included. So you have to that that's a negative thing that's very important. That now it doesn't mean that the voice is bland. It still needs to be alive and, and warm, but it should not have any hint of being um, what's the word not merely a performance but but a you might say a sophisticated yes uh, performance in which the aesthetic is the primary primary concern the primary when, when we hear this the cantor when we, when we hear the priest the deacon there should be a sense of a certain interiority and prayer that that are expressed through that and a certain naturalness and to the extent that we make it 
we refine our voices so that it's as if we're on a stage singing uh, for a concert, there's a, there's a problem. Mm. Um, yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's one of those things, you, when you hear it, you know it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it and it's, a, it's having a natural voice. Of course, that adds, makes it easier to hear as well, doesn't it? To, add, to right. perceive the, the words that are being sung. Right, right. Now, in all this too, I need to say that um, it's, we're, it's, we're a work in progress too. So in any given parish situation, yeah. you know, if we need to realize that the people that we might be working with, it's going to take some time to get all this, this down. And we might have somebody who does have a seemingly very operatic voice, but they're the person we've got. Yeah. And we've got We've got so so. There's there's a lot of prudential judgments here, and there's also a question of of being grateful for what we have. But having said that, yes, we need to head towards that natural tone. That's, okay. Yeah. Now, what, can we come to the male voice? Can yes. We say yes. <laughs> yeah. So this again, uh, <clears throat> this, the, the the fact is just that. Um, I, I've been associated with many wonderful female cantors, <laughs> and some of you might be listening right now, and I'm very grateful for everything. And, and what you do is uh, often an inspiration to me. Having said this, the ideal is the, is the male voice for cantoring. Why? Because for men to, to have a full congregation of men and women, men in the congregation will respond much easier to the male voice. They'll be able to follow the male voice and women will be able to do it also. But if, the, if there's a woman cantor, even if she's brilliant, uh, it's often difficult for men to follow the pitch because it's so much higher. And men almost feel like they have to go up like this. Very high. They, they have to bring their voice up so high that it feels unnatural to them. Now, if you have a, a very good musician, that's going to be different. They, they're going to say, okay, I'm singing down an octave, no problem. But for the normal parishioner, uh, having a woman canter uh, is going to mean that we're going to have a lot of men struggling to sing their parts. And, and that's borne out by experience, I think. If you look at the congregations where this is what you have, and it, the same applies, I think, also to highly stylized cantering as well, even if it's met. If they, if they stand yeah. up to an operatic aria for, right. you know, and then you're supposed to follow with Lord have mercy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then yeah. People just won't join in. But the... I see that, that men just would stand there with their hands in the pocket and just assume it's not for them to be singing right. very often. And this is, this is like really important if we, that, you know, that we have men who are leading the way and as well as women, you know, mm. but it's not, if, if, uh, if our singing in the mass is primarily a feminine thing, that I think that that's that's a problem, and then and if it's both masculine and feminine, then there's a completeness to it. 
And the, the point about this is that the male canter is naturally an invitation to both men and women. And it's because of the, the qualities of the voice. It's easier a woman can join in with a man, whereas it is difficult, just technically difficult, for a man to join in with a woman. Right. Aside from any other sort of, I, I mean, I, psychological things that men don't like to, to, to be led by women, <laughs> whether we think that's right or wrong, that tends to be the case. But if we put all that aside, there's a technical aspect there, which just really is primarily the point that female cantors cut out men, most men. That's right. Now there's there's another aspect here too, even for men can, male cantors, and that is that there's a certain range in which um, both high voices and low voices among men can sing easily. So for those who have a low, uh, bass voices, it's generally important to sing a little bit higher than that's their normal comfort yeah. range, but not not too high. Still, still, uh, and, and for tenors or high baritones that are have an easy time singing high, they need to be careful not to sing too high for a similar reason, so that there, there's this sort of an ideal range which we we need to um, have as a as a general parameter for for our singing. Right. Okay. Um, anything else on this topic? Do you think of artistry? Um, I think that I would like to affirm the value of, of vocal training, good vocal training. Uh, in itself, it's something that is a a really a great experience for so many of us who have had the opportunity to do it as far as just learning how the voice works, learning about breathing, learning about breathing from the diaphragm, learning about um, placing the voice, about resonance and so forth and so on. And there's lots more to it. There, there's a lot in there that it's, it's about discovering our natural equipment, you might say. And, and, and there's, there's, uh, but, that the limit so so that in that sense it's something really good and important uh and that can take place also in the context of, of choir rehearsals which I, i've done all along trying to help students to realize these basic principles of voice technique but then again in the liturgy we just need to be aware of the fact that there are that there are, li are certain limits that we need to respect in order to be liturgical and, and not go over into another style. Mm. That's one of those things that uh, if, you, if you really want to understand, if you, if you haven't got, if you're listening to this thing, what are you talking about? Well, okay, I understand these distinctions, but. Yeah, yeah. So I we almost need to get it. You recognize the difference because instantly you think, well, I can sing along with that. I can hear the words. That's right. That's it, right. It will be the one that naturally people gravitate towards if they're interested in joining in, in a sense. Yeah. And that's, we almost need to have a less, you know, we almost need to do some actual singing here uh, to, to demonstrate with a group of people. Maybe yeah. That at another point. But um, yeah, because it, these are, Again, even though it might seem a little abstract just to hear us talking about it, it's very objective. And it's something that 
we could we could do a class. I mean, I this is what I do all the time with my choirs, and it, there, there's a definite uh, concreteness, objectivity to these things in practice. I have one question actually that, that um, and it might just be my hearing, but uh, I find it easier with the if I'm listening to a male cantor to tell what the words are generally, and it might be just with the ones I'm hearing. I don't know. But you can have beautiful female singers, and I can't hear the words very often. Mm -hmm. um, is that, am I just unlucky, or is there some sort of inherent quality in the voice again, which is making it more difficult for women to be understood? Yeah, that's difficult for me to answer because I don't, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I know that there's certain, there's been, there have been studies that show that different people can hear certain pitch ranges. Range. Okay, all right. Not only in getting older, but just just normally that we have different pitch ranges at which we function more easily in listening. But uh, you bring up a really good point because I would say what I am aware of is both for men and women, there's a way to sing that can be very clear without being affected. Yeah, very important to cultivate and. This is um, this is very important, and it's it's sometimes not you don't you don't find it in cantors and and and, uh, and choirs. We need to understand the words, and 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 so that that's something. Now, also when I'm directing choirs, my choristers will tell you that one of the things I'm always telling them is you have to exaggerate the diction when you sing uh, in church, especially, because it's not as if you have a microphone, you shouldn't have, you know, you, I hope you do not have a microphone in front of you, but yeah. the thing is, if you do not exaggerate the diction to a certain extent, you will not, you will not be understood. And um, especially in a church with a live acoustic. Yes. But it's really important. Now, but you can see how that exaggeration of the diction could go, could take you to do sort of a an unnatural way to. So you have to be careful for that as well. So there's, there's different elements here, but diction is so important. That's all. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really answer your question about the. Well, no. I mean, if, if it's what you're saying, it seems to me is that. Uh, it's perfectly possible for good women singers to be understood in your yeah, experience. I, I believe it is, David. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. And, yeah. All right. I think that we can finish there. Actually, have we, have we exhausted that point for the moment? Oh, for the moment. Uh, now, of course, each, each one of these things is—it's it's, you know—we're talking about uh, a year or two or three. Of, of coursework <laughs> to actually develop this art, you know, for, for uh, musician, church musicians, there's a lot you can, you, you, you can work on and go deeper with and continue to develop. Uh, but I think, I think we've covered most of the points. Right. Okay. Well, until next time, uh, we'll say goodbye, Paul. Thank you very much for this. Extremely interesting <laughs> as ever. Thank you. Um, and we'll uh, talk to you again. Sounds good. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast. 
Conversations on Catholic Faith and Culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you are interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.